this is the beginning of a new season for Chester and Baptist. As we are uh, moving into 2020, there are some great themes that we want to follow the Lord in this year. And so, as we get into the book of Acts, as we get into the book of Acts, we're going to uh, look in particular at this theme of how God's Spirit moved in the early church and how he's going to be moving in, in our church as well uh, this year. And so, as we move into the second part of the book of Acts, we're going to look at uh, Paul and uh, Paul's story. But we won't do that today. I want to... I want to uh, I want to take a moment uh, for us to think about how God is at work in our hearts and in our stories. And so we've mentioned the fact that God is uh, doing a great work in all of us individually. And as we get into watching Paul work in Paul, uh, watching God work in Paul's life, we will have a chance to share uh, what God is doing in our lives. But we're going to learn some things about how the ministry works in terms of uh, a relational model. And doing so, there are some things that I want to accomplish today is to, to talk about what it means to enter into somebody else's world, moving into somebody else's heart, and understand uh, how, how to know what God is doing, what you say to another person who's really going through things. And so to encourage uh, other people with the faith, the hope, the love that we have as Christians, and, uh, and to do so, I wanted to sh start off with uh, this passage in Psalm 33. It says, by the word of the Lord, uh, the heavens were made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of the mouth. When you begin to think about ancient words or how God thinks about words, you begin in the Bible, Jack out of the box with Genesis 1, that God speaks. We know that God is a God who speaks into the cosmos, speaks into the darkness, and he speaks into the formless and the empty. And when God speaks, something happens in the universe. He creates beauty. He creates order. He creates a wonderful place for us. But words are sacred tools because these words come right out of the heart of God. And so the idea that our Bible, that what you have here is not just a man-made book, it's a revelation from the very heart of God himself. There are two men who understood this, Martin Luther King Jr., which we know will celebrate Monday. But Martin Luther King looked to a mentor Abraham Joshua Heschel. And Heschel, he quoted as the prophet's prophet. This is one that Martin Luther King would look to to find stimulus and guidance as a man. And Martin, uh, Abraham uh, Joshua Heschel said that words are themselves sacred. They are God's tool for creating the universe and our tool for bringing holiness or evil into the world. You see, words create life, words create, and words can destroy. 
And so somebody says to you something, there's a, a creation of an expectation, a creation of a connection. When a parent says, I'll always be there for you, and then they left. The little boy was fixing his bicycle chain that broke, and his dad pulled up in the semi-truck. He hadn't seen his dad for a week or so, and his dad walked up the driveway and said, what are you doing, son? He says, I'm fixing my bicycle chain, but I can't get these things to connect. And it's just like, I don't know how to make these chains connect. And so the dad took a pair of pliers and snapped off a couple of links. And when he put the chain together, they didn't fit. And he dropped the chain and says, oh, sorry, I, that didn't work. And went into the house. Soon as dad got out of the house and got into the truck and drove off again. Messages that we leave will be oral or they'll be by actions, but they left that little kid destroyed. He, he didn't have his dad to be there to do what his dad would say he's going to help, but he wasn't. Words destroy. And we know this when you hear the words like imminent threat. Or you hear words like revenge on two different parts of the world. There are people who are going to say words this week. And Jesus said, be aware that by your words you will be acquitted. And by your words you will be condemned. Words are powerful things. And as we look at what we say in the settings that we say them in, Proverbs 25.11 says it this way. He says, like apples of gold and settings of silver is a ruling rightly given a judgment a sentence made that fits the situation that's perfect we understand it's like apples of gold in settings of silver a strange phrase because in Israel they had no apples apples was an imported fruit and so they would oranges or apricots as being golden apples but the New American Standard translates it as a word spoken in right circumstances. In other words, there are things that we say that will move people toward healing. Words that we say that will move people toward hurt. But words, 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 words. We're, we're full of words. We educate words. And yet what Jesus would often say, be aware, watch your mouth, watch your heart. Proverbs would say, from, from your heart flow the issues of life, but from your mouth, life and death are in the power of the tongue. This you know. If your heart is right, your mouth will speak right. If your heart is wrong, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever is in the heart. But when Jesus spoke, gracious words fell from his lips. When Jesus spoke, people were astonished that he spoke as one with authority. When Jesus spoke, he says, the words that I speak to you are spirit and life. Understand every conversation you have with <clears throat> friend or spouse is a spiritual conversation that your spirit is being touched by another spirit and therefore as you talk about 
moving into a conversation, con with verse voice conversation, you're touching another's heart as you venture out into another culture. Of course, you understand, as, as I've learned, you've learned, that if you're learning a second language, the communication is always in the other person's terms. And so if you, you speak Japanese, uh, Japanese, it will be the measure of how well you come to a point of understanding. Language, then, is a sacred tool. God wanted all the world to, to use this tool to be able to touch people's hearts. And so today I want to look at just a couple of things. One, how not to do it. And then two, how to do it. How do you speak, how do you venture into another person's heart? By the way, the word adventure, adventure. We think of adventure, you're going into territory that's new. It's, it's As you go into thinking about experiencing something new in new territories, uh, you're taking a risk. Venture to move capital. Venture forth. To venture to move into the unknown. It's a risk. And words are powerful. So adventure means getting out of your comfort zone to move into areas that you don't normally move into. I like words. Words are powerful. And therefore, as you get into things about, when you get into people's lives, what things you should not say and what things you should say, we have a perfect example here with the story of Job. You know the story of Job. How long has it been since you've read the story of Job? Uh, One of the oldest books in the Bible. Probably the first, uh, first book written, some think. But the story of Job gives us a picture of how not to enter into relationships. Uh, You have in the story of Job a man who was wealthy. You know he lost through no cause of his own. He lost his family. He lost his wealth. He lost his health. He was a man in sorrow. He was a man suffering. And when his three friends came, they were so torn apart and aghast at the suffering, they couldn't say anything. When people go through suffering, what do you say? How do you move? Well, for Job, his three friends sat with him for a week in silence which is a good thing. But what was going through their heart and their spirit as they were thinking about venturing into this unknown territory of pain? The first guy, Eliphaz, the Temanite, comes to Job and says, okay, Job, listen, you're supposed to be the one that models everything. You you by your righteousness and you by your faith, you sustain the weary with the word. You know how to give advice, Job, but when it comes to you, I don't know if you can take it, if you're going to take your own medicine, are you open to be taught? And so Eliphaz begins to say to Job in a confrontational way, and it's you, Job, there's something wrong here, and it's you. Because we know 
that God doesn't treat the righteous by punishing without reason. And the reason in your relationship with God and because of your sin and because of the children you're being punished now Job's sitting with scabs and seeping wounds <clears throat> Bill Bill dad the Shuhite, comes along and says, you know, he's got a point. Uh, it's fate. It's your destiny, Job. You, uh, this is part of your lot in life, and God doesn't make mistakes. You're going to suffer because you're not God, and you're a fallen man. And so Bildad comes alongside, wagging his tongue and shaking his finger, and then there's Zophar. Zophar comes along as well and basically says the same thing. And Job turns to his friends and says, "You guys, you don't understand the weight of my the weight of my pain. The, the, it's like if it was to be measured. Uh, uh, and you guys come on and you add to it. Your words are like a blustering wind. How long will you say such things?" Job goes into more depression because he says, shouldn't your friends be there? And they aren't there, of course. And so you find Bildad and Eli, Eliphaz, could not enter into Job's situation. Why? They were preoccupied with what they were going to say to Job or they had an understanding of how the world works, and so their words were coming out of who they were, but they hadn't suffered like Job. They didn't know what to do with Job. Therefore, they just said what they said. God said to them later, all three men are wrong. Job was right. You misrepresent me to Job. Well, we don't do this very well. Who's prepared, who's adequate to handle going into things when people are really struggling? When people have sinned and have moral failure? When you've done that, do people come alongside and comfort you? Or what do they do? Well, I wanted to share a couple of things. What we do is we tend to do what we do because we have this tendency we are wired differently by personality. Geyer and Downey, uh, their, their model of the six listening styles, you may have heard this before, but they talk about how each of us have a style of listening, how we enter into relationships, and as we listen into relationships, uh, we attend to certain things based on our listening style. And the first one, he talks about the leisure listener. I call it a lazy listener. He only listens to what he wants to hear. And so if you're trying to tell your teenager to clean up the room, uh, he's going to blow you off and say, ah, ah, ah. Until he hears certain things, he has to hear certain things that motivate him, force him, or interest him. But everything else, he's a lazy listener. 
A lazy listener only hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. Ooh, la, 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 la. Paul Simon. There's another listener called the inclusive listener. I call it the informational listener in the sense that they're listening for details. They're listening for data. They're listening for numbers. They're listening for figures and expenses, but they are the, the data people. They want to know the who, what, when, where, why. These are the journalists. These are the detail folks that get the information right. And as they listen to people, they want to know the details, but that's as far as they go. They don't go beyond and to understand the meaning, or, or may not go beyond, but they're, more, they're, they're paying attention to, now, when did that happen? How much did it cost? Who did what? Who said what? The third person has a stylistic listening pattern where they don't hear the message so much, but they hear the messenger. They're looking at the hairstyle. They're looking at the coat. There's a tie match, and, and, the, and the cadence, and the tone, and... and uh, I'm of Peter. I like Peter. I don't like his style. I'm of Peter. I like Peter's style. I'm of Paul. I'm of Paul's style. I'm a Peter. Have, people have their preferences, but these folks in particular, in particular, like to look at how things are presented, not what is being presented. They're stylistic listeners. The fourth one is the technical listener. This is the engineer who wants to know and is listening for, how do I make it work? How do I fix it? Tell me the formula. Step one, step two, step three, step four. If you don't make it practical, I'm out of here. Because I don't deal with this theory and abstract. And it's too, just tell me what to do. How do I make this cake? One, two, three. Do. So the technical listener is the one who's, who's got a program. And if you don't that program, they're good. The fifth one is the empathic listener. Empathy, powerful tool, but the empathic listener listens for how the message is going to affect people. What does this mean for my family? What does this mean for my marriage? going to respond to this. And so they're listening emotionally to connect with the, the, the relational connection what this message is going to bring to people I care about. And they're emotional. They're, they're, they're sensitive to all kinds of moods. They pay attention to depression. But they're listening to the heart. They're very good. And I think in the church here, we have a lot of great listeners who will be listening to feelings, and then at the end of 20 minutes of listening, what do you say? What words do you use? We're good at tuning to people's thinking and feeling, but then after the time is shared, what do you say? The empathic person will say, I feel, and they will connect on the feeling level, and maybe just stay there. The last person is the person who's listening, not to understand, but is listening to argue. They're nonconformist. They're not going to agree with Job because they're listening to the part where they're going to go off on their focus, on their theme. And so a nonconformist listener is going to listen with you, attack or argue. 
They're listening to rebel. They're listening not to agree with you. They want to get into a situation where they're worshiping. But what they're saying... Only what he hears, if he's hearing you, he's going to hear how to attack you. That's what he's focused on. So those are the six dialogues. The Jewish proverb I like, it says, we do not see things as they are. We see things as we are. Therefore, we listen. We listen with our temperament, our personality, our listening styles, and then we project onto the world our patterns of listening, instead of suspending who we are and being able to enter into another person's world. I've mentioned before, you have three years. Did you know that? You hear me only cover two. You have three years. Uh, when you listen to your heart, what's going inside you, you listen to the other person, what's going inside them, and the third one is you listen to the Spirit of God. What is God saying to you in situation that you may say to them? forget ourselves. But when we enter into conversations, we don't see things as they are. And here's the part about words, where words become very, very powerful. We don't see people as they are. We see them according to our tags. We tag people. Are they a Republican? Are they Democrat? And we tag them as such. Are they Baptist? Are they Catholic? Are they American? Are they immigrants? And so if I were to use a word, which word goes with this graphic? Friend or foe? Well, it depends. It depends on how you're seeing the other person. If you're seeing it as a tag, you may think politically, then you get into a misunderstanding or an argument. To their world. If you see a man, we don't see a man, we see a black man. We see a Japanese man. We see, we don't see the man, we see not the human, we see the conditions of circumstance. But know that understanding is a map maker's word. It's a, it comes conflux, the flowing together, the, the joining together. And when two rivers come together at the point, that meeting of two rivers, like when the Ohio meets the Mississippi, the point of flow is the point of understanding. Now that will rewire your neural network. Think about listening in a different way. If you are listening to somebody and you are in the flow and you come together, their body language is going to say, yeah, yeah, you get it. I understand. You understand. I, you, you, we. And, and so there's a flowing together of all these things. But if you have somebody who doesn't flow with you, you don't get it. You're not listening. You don't understand me. That when two people come together, when two personalities come together, like the Ugandan proverb says, the water is never calm. When you bring something into a relationship, and by the way, 
know what the word relationship means? This is a fun word. Never thought about this. You know what the word relationship means? Re, again. Relationship. No, the, word, the word is lay. It means to bring back. You're bringing back together. You're reconnecting. Every time you relay, you're bringing back something. So when you enter a relationship with somebody who's struggling, you're bringing your very presence. And when you come in, you're going to say words. If you're listening well to flow with somebody, you don't want to be an inspector. You don't want to be an interviewer. You want to be who's a friend is coming alongside not the tag not to argue but as a friend to a friend now this is going to be a refreshing part as I think about this Jesus enters into our world leaving the throne of glory and he comes into our world we know that he comes as savior but let me ask you to think about this if you were to walk with Jesus for a day what conversations would you have? What would he talking about be like to be with on a day? Talking about fish? Talking about fishing? You guys cast the nuts. Have you seen these new reels we've got? Would Jesus talk about things that weren't kingdom stuff? Think about if he goes into teaching your classroom. If he goes into your work world, what would it be like to spend time with Jesus? 24, 24 hours. Think about that. Wherever you go, Jesus was talking with you. What would he say? Conversing. Jesus went up on a mountainside. He called And they came. What do they talk about? Well, this leads into the Sermon on the Mount. But before the Sermon on the Mount, what was it like to be with Jesus? What did his words do? To those men that he was personally involved, engaged. Can you imagine at the end of the day walking in Galilee and sharing a sunset with Christ? And he's looking at the sunset, and you're looking at the sunset, and then you look at Jesus, and Jesus looks at you. Can you imagine life walking? Nice job. But man to man, life on life, heart to heart, reflecting. Did you see that boy smile when the demon left and the epilepsy was gone? Peter says, yeah. Did you see his dad run to, you, run to him? And how great, you know, that family, what, what their future is going to be like because they got their kid back. What do they talk about? And so <clears throat> think about into the evening. Stars are out, fire, your home. What late night discussions? Jesus' words would explain the Father. Exegete, it says. But he would talk. He would talk, and his words would enter into the hearts of those he saw. He wasn't just talking at you or at them, he was talking with them. Likewise, Nicodemus came up. He's got questions. Jesus listens to questions. And looking at Nicodemus in the eye, Jesus say to you, you, 
in the eye. What would Jesus say to you if he had 24-7? Notice he would do this sometimes in a group, but sometimes he would do it privately. That discussion with the Samaritan woman. When Jesus would say, if you only knew. Jesus does know. They didn't. So he brought something. And the disciples on the road to Our hearts are just, wow. When Jesus' words entered into the hearts of people, their hearts were moved. Either to repent and confess and find healing, or to get hardened and resist and find death apart from Christ. Just to yourself for a while, what would you talk about? This day, if I were listening to your conversation with Jesus, what would you talk about? Would you be silent? Waiting for Jesus to do it all? Or would you enter into his heart? Or would you just kind of stay away? I don't know what to say. You see, if you don't understand how Jesus enters into the relationships with people, it may be because you don't know how Jesus enters into your own story. But can you see Jesus speaking to you, asking you about your life, asking you about your loss, asking you about your suffering, asking you to listen to you? Does Jesus really do that? I just thought he was there to teach me, to disciple me. No, no. He wants to know what's on your heart. <clears throat> And therefore, he extends the invitation. And he says, come to me. I know you're weary. Come to me. I know your burdens. I know what you're going through. And I will give you rest. When Jesus invites, the words to invite, he says, I want you to walk with me. I want you to relate to me. I want you to bring to me that which is on your heart. And I want you to enter into my life as I enter into yours. Take my yoke upon you. Learn how I see life. For I'm gentle. Jesus' words were strong. But they were gentle. He's not going to beat you over the head. Take you out behind the woodshed. Say, you do that too. one more time, son. He says, no, no, let's sit down and talk because you don't get it. You don't understand. You're not flowing with me. But if you flow with me, life will be easier and my burden is lighter. Well, what was the passage you used today, Ryan? About your treasure, where your treasure is. Jesus says privately to a lot of folks in Luke 12, he said to them, watch of greed for life for life for life does not ex consist in getting your way in getting your things life isn't in getting life isn't giving and he said be on your guard materialism what was you fool this very night. You're and sometimes when she goes to work, she wears this. I married a nurse. 
And sometimes when she goes to work, she wears this thing called a stethoscope. You know what a stethoscope is? Well, you know what it is? You know what a stetho is? I won't put you on the spot. Stetho means chest. You're scoping the chest. You're listening. It's not, it's not a cardioscope. It's a chest scope. So you're listening to the... But when you take the human heart and you listen to what's in that chest, you want to... Do it this way. You do it like Christ. You suspend your interest or your concerns and you show an interest. You move into what's interesting to them, but you take the initiative to move towards other people. You start the conversations, but you start with an invitation. Jesus always did. You invite, you invite, may I? Would, would, you, would you mind if... Uh, could we talk about, there are things in my heart I'd like to share. I don't know if this is the right thing. But you have to take time to enter into somebody's life story. Don't do it and pass the peace. You do it, you make time. Making time is a very loving thing. So you cultivate the trust. When you move, when you move, the right time and then you selectively tell your story if it benefits the other person stay present as you're listening to somebody sharing with them not answers sharing with them not advice sharing with them not what the bible says you share your heart and it's heart to heart connection here these heart-to-heart conversations that have happened to me in my life redirected me in a number of conversations I have. You have the same But this one I want to leave you with. You know the story. You've seen the picture. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Who takes the initiative? Jesus does. He has to knock. Is this verse for Christians or non-Christians? For the believer or unbelievers? It's only for believers. Because I stand at the church that pushed him outside. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock, church. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and we'll share life together around the meal. But once you go in, Jesus would say, you think you're okay. You think you're rich. You've got wealth and you don't need anything. You don't need me. And Jesus would say, don't you realize you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked? When Christ steps into your heart and the conversations he has, he's coming there to speak words of hope, to speak encouragement words. And therefore, he will pierce your heart and therefore we pray God search me and know my heart God tell me with the grace and the gentleness you have see if there's anything in me that's blocking this relationship that I don't bring myself to you Christ knows that well lead me in the everlasting way if Christ is standing at the door wanting to enter into our lives then we also wait for people to give us that opportunity. But when you get in, 
Be prepared to go in grace. Be prepared to find a mess. But be prepared to enjoy the delight that the Spirit of God is doing something unique in your life. And your spirit will reflect the Spirit as you connect heart to heart. Isn't it great? This year you have a chance to tell your story. As we start the study, you'll hear a lot of people. Some will be able to go, some won't. But no matter what they do, take initiative and ask around. What's going on in the church? What are you learning? What's God teaching? What's, and and, and be, don't be passive. Be active. Move. Listen. Learn. But as you listen, listen, and you love, love, you carry these relationships forward. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you really are amazing. You move into pain. You move into a fallen world. But you move in because you know the way we take. And I, Father, I thank you that when your spirit comes, he comes to speak to our hearts. Now, keep moving. Tap us hearts.